Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Now, the HSC has suspended the practice of giving COVID-19 test results to employers ahead of workers. And this was after concerns were raised yesterday about breaches of uh, confidentiality. I have to say it was, you know, you're listening away for the news, particularly I was trying to find out what was coming out from the COVID-19 committee. It was their first public meeting uh, yesterday. And I really was taken aback to hear this news that the somebody's COVID-19 test results, be it positive or negative, was going to go to a boss before it would actually go to the worker. Now, obviously, when that news broke yesterday, it uh, triggered uh, criticism and it's obviously sparked uh, a data protection uh, inquiry. Health authorities also had sort of mixed views on the practice. The HSC decided last night, anyway, with all the, hu- the hullabaloo yesterday about it, that they're ceasing the practice in a statement. They say this is from the HSC. In view of the concerns raised by some employees in relation to this issue, the HSE will consider the use of exceptions and has suspended the practice while we seek guidance from the Data Protection Commissioner. So they've just suspended the practice for the moment. The controversy saw TDs at the special COVID-19 meeting quiz health officials over bosses getting the results first. And it was in meat factories and it was in nursing homes. Dr Tony Houlihan and then the Chief Executive of the HSE, Paul Reid, kind of contradicted each other over employees receiving workers' virus results. It was revealed that the commissioner had received complaints from members of the public. It was in the case of mass testing of employees and it was the management received the employees' results first. So the mass testing has, we know it has taken place at nursing homes all over the country and we also know that it has taken place at many of the meat plants. But I would have assumed that all of those mass testing, that the individual person would have been informed. Now I can understand in a nursing home that might be difficult but maybe I would have assumed maybe it was next of kin was going to get get the uh, result certainly didn't think it was the employer would be getting the result and then it would be up to the employer to in the case of the meat plants for the employer to call in the employee or phone them at home would they be at home if they'd already been no for mass testing they wouldn't have been at home because remember a lot of the employees in the meat plants didn't even have symptoms so then is it up to the employer then to call somebody off the factory floor bring up to the office and say by the way you've tested positive for COVID-19 you have to go home now and uh, self-isolate I mean was there a follow-up then from the HSE to that employee 
to make sure that they'd all the correct advice. I mean, obviously the employer isn't going to have all of the medical advice that that person is going to need uh, to hear. It does, it seems rather bizarre that the HSE decided to go down this route. Now, it was interesting that Dr Tony Houlihan, when he was asked about it, he said the practice when he heard about it, straight away said it would be a breach of confidentiality. Full stop. That was his quote. He said employers should not be receiving results for employees. And that happened in the morning yesterday at the COVID-19 uh, meeting. But then in the afternoon, Paul Reed, the head of the HSE, he said that the public health officials can make what he calls a judgment call on the issue, saying that there are exceptional cases where there is discretion and a judgment call has to be available uh, for public health uh, officials. So, I mean, he's basically saying that the public health, uh, the public health comes first. Is that what he's saying? And therefore, the employer has to find out to make sure that the employees, all them, go home or whatever but I, I, I still I don't I still fully don't understand why he thinks that the judgment call uh, in exceptional uh, cases why employers would be given the news ahead of employees I would be more on the side of Dr Tony Hulham saying absolutely it is a breach of uh, confidentiality anyway it has been suspended seeking guidance from the Data Protection Commission So we'll keep an eye on it and when any more breaks on that we will bring it to you. Another piece actually that came out from the the meeting yesterday and when you're scrambling around for all the different bits of news because in fairness it went on for many hours yesterday that committee meeting. A lot of it we'd heard already. There wasn't a lot of new information any 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 that I heard or any that I read about online, there wasn't a lot of new uh, information except that one about the employers was probably one of the ones that kind of really stood out. But the National Children's Hospital got a mention yesterday and we haven't really spoken about the National Children's Hospital and the cost of the National Children's Hospital in quite some time, certainly since the pandemic uh, started. Uh, Bad news if you have a sensitive disposition. The National Children's Hospital, we're now told, could go up by 40% because of the COVID-19 outbreak. The Construction Industry Federation was invited to the committee yesterday, Tom Parlam, and he said that he has been told by industry figures that the cost of the Children's Hospital, which has risen to £1.7 it could go up now by another 40% and that would add an additional, wait for this, €680 million to what is already an over-budget project. Is the cost of the National Children's Hospital ever going to end? It just, But that's because new procedures now to be put in place because of COVID-19 and because of that there will be additional costs. Goodness at me. Let's try and look for some good news though from uh, yesterday and certainly to me this has got to be the best news story and this has got to be the one we all have to be singing and shouting about and it's health authorities saying that there now is a consistent suppression of COVID-19 in the community and this was when we got the figures yesterday 51 cases were were announced yesterday as testing positive, lowest uh, yet. There was sadly an additional 16 deaths. We now have 1,561 lives have been lost to COVID-19. But uh, Tony Houlihan yesterday said the decline was continuing. We have now been below 100 testing positive for coronavirus for the fourth day in a row. And then when you look at those new cases, those new cases 
were mainly in specific settings. Some of those settings include uh, nursing homes and occupational uh, settings. So they're not out in the community. They're already in clusters that are in centres, some that have already been identified. He said the country has arrived at the right time to ease the restrictions but obviously it all comes with a bit of, of caution uh, with Tony Hulhan saying we still need to be vigilant. It doesn't mean that the virus has gone away but we certainly have suppressed it in the community. The, no, the only worry in it is the number of clusters have risen in some centres including in meat factories. They really, meat factories now have become, when we were talking about all the clusters in the nursing homes, it's very much now moving on uh, to the meat uh, factories. Cases in meat factories increased by 328 to 828 and it has a total of 16 clusters in meat factories around the country. And then direct provision centres there, they've seen another uh, cluster. They have a total of 13 clusters now in direct provision centres. The total numbers in direct provision centres with COVID-19 is 171 which has risen by uh, 22. Tony Houlihan said the latest health advice was people should spend a maximum of two hours together in a room over a 24-hour period. Now that caused a little bit of confusion and a little bit of controversy uh, yesterday because Tony Hoolan said it would apply to workplaces and indoors where there's close contact. Now we've already started to see an easing of restrictions and some people going back to work yesterday but more businesses are putting planning in place for the reopening of the country at the various uh, phases. And I think everybody was working on the principle that it's social distancing and the two metre rule. And I know I've certainly heard of factories and offices that are hoping to reopen and they're, you know, the work is going on to reopen them and they're making sure that desk spaces say inside in offices, open plan offices, which have really become the commonplace thing in the modern working environment, that once they were spaced two, you know, there's two metres apart and you made sure when people had to walk in between desks that they were two metres apart and everyone thought that they would be fine on that. But nobody had heard about this, what is now a new rule that if you're in a room for more than two hours with somebody over a 24-hour period and if somebody gets COVID-19 in that space, then you will be deemed a close contact and will then have to self-isolate while you wait to be tested. That to me is certainly going to put a spanner in the works for a lot of businesses who are trying to reopen and are trying to reopen safely. And there's always this threat that if somebody goes back to work and gets COVID-19 in the workplace, could they potentially sue their employer because they didn't put everything in place or they didn't listen to all of the advice. So I don't know if you're only allowed to spend a maximum of two hours. I mean, where, for example, will that leave teachers inside in a classroom? A teacher in a classroom with children are going to spend, particularly in primary school, are going to spend more than two hours. In secondary school, they might move from classroom to classroom, but then all of the students will have been in the same room for more more than two hours. So I do think uh, there's going to have to be more advice given and an explanation of the rationale behind that, I think, is going to have to be explained. Now, he was pushed on it. Tony Hulham was pushed on it yesterday and he did say that every situation was different. 
and that public health doctors would inform employers. So I think there's going to be a rush on employers to get more information. He also spoke about Health and Safety Authority would also be there uh, to give out uh, information. And then other clusters that were mentioned yesterday, there are clusters in the travelling community. There's clusters in homeless uh, shelters and uh, in some workplaces. Some of them have increased, but with the with the good news, well, that's bad news for those clusters. The good news is that it doesn't seem to be, it seems to be suppressed out in the uh, community. And uh, because of the low numbers of new cases, it means health authorities on Friday will review the case definition as to what symptoms we need to be looking out for and what do doctors need to know when they're sending people forward for testing. And there is talks that they may add anosmia. Now, this is a new word on me that I actually had to even Google the pronunciation of it yesterday and check out what it it is. Anosmia is when you lose your sense of taste, your sense of smell, or both your sense of taste and smell go at the same time. They, They are looking here at whether or not they will put that in as a symptom of COVID-19. Over in the United Kingdom, they have now included it as a symptom of COVID-19. So we're, we're going to look to see, the health authorities will look to see, will it be added to the list? Because if it's added to the list, it means if somebody come, presents with that symptom to a GP practice, they then will be sent forward for a COVID-19 uh, test. And looking at the number of tests over the past week, almost 37,000 tests were uh, carried out 932 tested positive, which means out of that 37,000 odd cases, 2.5% were positive. So the bulk of them were uh, negative. And Chair of the National Public Health Emergency Advisory Team, uh, Dr Killian de Gascoigne, said despite broadening the case definition and increases in referrals, this is where they allowed doctors to send on more people for testing. He said the positivity rate has continued to decline and that indicates that there is a consistent suppression of COVID-19 in the community and to me that is a really little bit of good news and we hang on to every single bit of good news that we can in the middle of this pandemic. When I mentioned the Children's Hospital and that the cost of the Children's Hospital is to go up, Dennis says, come on now Patricia, clearly you can't put a price on life. If the National Children's Hospital costs another 40%, well that's fine. If it's protecting people's lives and keeping them healthy and safe, it's another anti-health and safety rant. Two billion 40% is 800 million. Divide that by 4.7 million, which is the population of Ireland, and that's less than 200 euro per person. Sounds cheap to me if it prevents unnecessary death, says Dennis. So there's nothing wrong in the rising of the National Children's Hospital. I just want to see that hospital built, Dennis. We seem to be talking about it forever. On the talks of anosmia which is where you lose your sense of smell and taste and putting that forward now as a symptom of COVID-19. John and Glanakitty says come on now, adding no smell and taste to the possibility of a symptom of having COVID-19 what will be next? Constipation. They seem to be making it up as they go on says John and Glanakitty. In fairness they're not it has been one of the symptoms that's been mentioned before in other countries. I think in China actually they were one of the first to notice that some of the COVID-19 patients said that one of their first symptoms was no sense of smell and somebody losing their sense of uh, taste. And remember, 
COVID-19 seems to be strange in that not everybody gets all of the symptoms. I mean, one of the common ones is a fever and somebody spiking a temperature. But then we've heard of other people who were tested positive for COVID-19 and they never spiked uh, a fever, even though that is one of the more common symptoms. It's the same. Some people get a cough, other, others don't uh, get a cough. But certainly the taste and the smell one I have heard before and it has been doing the rounds and the United Kingdom decided to put it on their list of symptoms where somebody can go forward for testing so it looks like we're going to be doing uh, the same thing here. And uh, thank you to Eric for this. This is uh, Morning Trish. As you know I do a bit of dog rescue work when I can. Well when doing some yesterday I heard a very interesting fact it was brought to my attention. Guide dogs have no social distance training so it's up to us, other members of the public, when you see somebody approaching with a guide dog to give them space if you meet them on a footpath or if you're you're in a shop because a guide dog will head straight to the door of the shop and has no concept because they would have had no training for uh, social uh, distancing. Thank you for that Eric. And actually I also um, if you see somebody who's not using a guide dog but has a white cane somebody who's visually impaired. A visually impaired person has no concept of who's close by them and the two metre rule uh, as well. And I know it is, I saw the Irish Council for the Blind saying that this whole pandemic and social distancing is causing issues for people who are visually impaired. So it's us who are lucky enough to have our vision we need to give if you come across anyone who's visually impaired either with a guide dog I hadn't thought about the guide dog so or if you see somebody with a a white cane please give them the space that they need you're going to make sure you're doing the social distancing for them and we've just had the most gorgeous call in from a listener and I just doesn't want her name called out or where she's calling from or anything like that but she just wants to wanted to share her story with us and it's one of those lovely stories that is worth um, sharing and to show that even in the middle of a pandemic when people are cocooning and social isolating and not able to connect with family and friends and feeling a bit lost and alone that good, some real goodness can come out of this pandemic and she contacted us to say that she had been through a, a divorce And because of the divorce, she hadn't spoken to either of her two adult sons for many years. And that does happen in families when there's a divorce happens. Sometimes the children can take sides. They can blame one parent over the other parent. And you can end up with a very fractured family. And that's what happened in this case. She had lost contact with her two adult sons. And since the lockdown began, she's decided to try to rebuild as best she can, a relationship with her two adult sons. So she said they have been using the time to build bridges and to acknowledge, everybody acknowledging a part in what was a very difficult uh, situation. And she said, looking within what has been a very raw experience, but a very powerful one for me during this lockdown. And she said, today is my birthday and I've just had the greatest gift of all. I've reconnected in person, but with social distancing with my adult children and it was wonderful. They came to her gate and said, contacted her, say, come out, we're, we're outside and it's her first time seeing them and reconnecting with them in many years. So she said, COVID-19 has given me a gift that money simply cannot buy. We will never get a time like this again and we should use this time to see through other people's eyes and the pain we might have caused them and make changes within ourselves and to try to build some of those bridges. It was a difficult thing to do, but it has been so, so powerful. 
And today, on my birthday, she said, I received a birthday present from one of my adult children. And the birthday present was Michelle Obama's book, Becoming. And it's fitting because that's what I've been doing. I'm becoming myself. Isn't that terrific? And can I say, what a great book your son has given you because that's a, that's a fantastic uh, book. But that's just a lovely story and it shows even while a lot of people and a lot of us are feeling down and there can be a lot of negativity around this pandemic and is it ever going to end? We can also use this time to reflect and to grow and to build those bridges and to accept wrong on, on both sides. That is fantastic. Long may your connection with your two adult sons uh, continue. And, you know, and it sounds like you are certainly on that path to recovery for, for all of you. And you will get back to and you can just put behind you those years where you weren't speaking and just build and uh, move forward. And a happy birthday to you. 1850 You can t- you can uh, call us or you can WhatsApp um, to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Mallow College. Now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie Nabi <laughs> Now, Laura has contacted us about what, what she sees as an unfair practice by AIB and Haven Mortgages. And her story is as follows. She says, my name is Laura and I'm writing to you about the unfair practices of AIB. Prior to the lockdown, my husband and I had been approved for our mortgage with AIB. We have a €500 Euro booking deposit paid on our dream home in Bantry. We were so excited as we're currently in rented accommodation with our five small children. We were lucky enough to be able to buy a house and we're really looking forward to giving our children their forever home and a little bit of security. Everything was going great until the lockdown happened and my husband who works in construction was temporarily let go due to COVID lockdown and all construction sites being closed. I contacted AIB when this happened and they reassured me that when my husband returned to work, all we would need to do is get a letter from his employer stating he was back to full-time employment and receiving the same wages and hours. We sent them that letter, but now they say they want three clean 
pay slips. Because my husband's employer is availing of the employment subsidy scheme where the government continue to pay €350 of my husband's wages, they will not let us draw down our mortgage. They're discriminating against anyone receiving the COVID payment. I tried to explain to them that this was the employer's right to avail of the subsidy scheme and that my husband had no control over it, but they will not listen. They want pay slips with no sign of COVID on them. And until such time, we cannot access our mortgage. How can they do this to people? I know that Haven banks are doing the same thing. If these two banks are doing it, God knows how many more are. Why are they allowed to discriminate against people? How many employees is this going to affect all over Ireland? No access to mortgages and probably no access to other forms of credit if they are in receipt of a COVID payment. I'm a nurse, so thankfully my wages have not been affected. But my husband is earning the exact same money as he was prior to COVID. So what's the problem? Any help would be gratefully appreciated. And if you could read this out on air and let other people know what the banks are doing. Kind regards. And that's uh, from Nora. Well, Fina Gale, Dáil Deputy Colin Burke, has also been contacted by a number of people in similar situations. And we've invited uh, Colin uh, to join us on the uh, programme. Good morning to you, Colin. Good morning. Uh, And you're welcome. Would you agree that banks are being very unfair here as Laura and her husband's financial situation hasn't changed in any way? Absolutely. Um, this has come to light, I suppose, with me over three or four weeks ago. And um, I assembled a number of cases which I wrote to the Minister for Finance, Pascal Dunahoo, on the 5th of May. I gave him five sample cases. And just to give you an idea, one of the cases I had was someone where a couple um, had purchased the site, had put all their savings into purchasing the site. Um, there were no the owners of the site, had planning permission. Builder was engaged, going back maybe uh, last November, uh, £60,000 worth, or euros worth of work done, and they went to draw down their loan to find the bank would not allow, would not release the money, even though one of the parties is employed by the state. It's very similar to the case you're talking about. Um, this girl was employed by the state in a safe, secure job. Her husband was... Um, in a situation where, again, it was the employer who was availing of the COVID payment. He was getting full wages, no reduction in, in salary. Um, and the bank refused to allow the 60000 to be drawn down. And this then had the knock-on effect where the builder didn't get paid, the subcontractors who did the work, whether it was the block work or whatever, didn't get paid. And huge. And these are the kind of issues that I've raised with the minister. I had a discussion with him again last Thursday night on the matter. Um, and um, I know that there was a meeting between the Taoiseach and the banks in the last 10 days. Um, in two of the five cases that I report about, there has been progress made on it. And uh, again, uh, I had another girl who was in a very good job. Herself and her partner between them had over 100,000 in income per annum. And again, um, because the husband was getting, the employer was getting um, uh, COVID support, the bank wouldn't allow the, the drawdown to occur there either. The problem that we're now having, there's a number of problems arising. One is that in some cases, because of the delay in completing houses, um, the you know you must draw down your loan, say, within six months of mm-hmm. it being granted. The loan, letters of loan uh, sanction are expiring and the banks are requiring people to go back and reapply. 
There's also the issue of concern we're having is that banks will look for houses to be a new valuation and there may be a valuation down. And I'm very concerned about all of that issue because, say, for instance, you're getting a 90% mortgage on a house costing 300000 and the bank send out a valuer and he knows says, well, really, that's only worth 280000 now, so we're only going to give you 90% to 280000 And one of the other issues... And have house values dropped? Well, we don't know. I suppose there is, uh, I suppose there is a, a caution there with valuers in that um, they're going to be cautious about valuations that they're going to apply. Um, what we're saying to people, if, they, if at all possible, to make sure they can keep within the time frame of their letter of loan offer that they don't. And if they can try and get an extension of the letter rather than having to go through the whole process all over again. And I think banks should grant that extension. Um, the other problem that's arising and it's very much a Dublin problem where I have a number of people where the builders, solicitors would not allow a loan clause to be put into the contracts. The old loan clause was that, you know, it's subject to loan, but then the law study made a recommendation a number of years ago. It's not just subject to loan, it's subject to being able to draw down the loan. And I have two cases out of Dublin where they don't have such a clause in the contract and their deposits are now at risk. Ah. Because of the bank. And that's and in both cases, there was over 30,000 deposits paid in both cases. Ah, oh, that would be shocking. I know, but that it's, would it's, be it's shocking. And people have really worked long and hard Absolutely. to build up those deposits. Yeah, and the point I'm making is that, you know, it's not their fault that their yeah. employer has to, and in both of those cases, it's... Um, it's the employer is drawing the COVID payment, obviously, to support to keep the jobs. Um, in both cases, the jobs are not at risk. And in both cases, now we have a problem in that um, we're not able to draw down the loan. And By the way, and I should have asked this at the, at the outset, when, Laura, when uh, Laura's letter was referring to, she's with AIB and she's heard that it's happening with Haven Banks as well. Is this across all the main banks? Yeah, well, we've come across quite a number of the banks um, which where it's happening. Um, I have come across a case which um, uh, one, uh, not all the banks are within the Banking Federation, um, but one of the companies that took over, Pepper, um, they're, they're, applying, um, they're applying it in the same way um, and they're... Um, they're, they're even more difficult. We had one case, for instance, where people are paying 900 euros a week, a month rent, and their mortgage repayment would be 690. So their mortgage repayment would be less than their rent, and they won't allow them to draw down the loan because, again, one of the parties is the employer is on a COVID payment. And I'm extremely concerned about it. I intend keeping after the minister on this matter and also after the banks because I think there needs to be a bit of flexibility on this as well. And I think penal people should not be penalised uh, when it's something beyond their control. And has the Taoiseach and are the Minister for Finance met with any of the main banks? My understanding is that they had a meeting within the last 10 days and okay. these issues were raised um, but it's something I've also raised with the Banking Federation. Brian Hayes now is involved in the Banking Federation. I've raised it directly with him and I intend to continue to do that because um, it's only in the next few weeks that we will come across more of these problems. I've um, over 22 cases that I'm dealing with at the moment uh, and trying to help people and wow. basically what we're trying to deal with. And do you believe it could have an economic effect? Well, I, I think banks behave unreasonably with, like the case I gave where, you know, the builder can't get his 60000 because the people aren't allowed to draw down the money 
then there is a knock-on effect because yeah, the builder wants, yeah. wants the next job. He needs cash flow. He needs also to be able to pay the invoices that he has from suppliers. He needs to pay the, the labour. He, the bank, won't extend his overdraft facility either. So there is a, there's a it's like a deck of cards. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, and that's the one that I'm concerned about, that on the one hand, the bank may may feel they're acting reasonably on it, but then on the other hand, then it has a huge um, knock-on effect, and especially in rural areas where you have a builder who might be building one or two hours at a time, and suddenly there's a cash flow um, problem, then he is can is slowed down completely in the work he's trying to do. But I suppose it would be naive of us to expect a lender to offer a mortgage if a borrower had lost their job. Oh, but this is different here. This is the wage subsidy. This is a different story. Yeah, but in all the cases that I've written to the minister and the five sample cases I gave to the minister, in each case, one of the parties had a permanent pensionable job. Wow. Uh, and in each case, um, it was the the partner or the husband or you know, who went on the wage subsidy? Not they didn't go on the wage subsidy. Their employer went on the wage subsidy. Yeah. In the five cases that I reported in, the full payment was being made by the employer, and the employer was availing of the wage subsidy. Yeah, which and they're which they're entitled to do. Yeah, I think absolutely. they. I think they're is if their money's down by twenty five percent or their income is down by twenty five percent. But an employee has no choice. Absolutely, and they're just glad to, that they've got that they're back to work and they have their job. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah. I mean, and and in fairness, employers are trying. It's to a protect. messy affair. It is, yeah, but I think it's it's important that the banks do behave in a reasonable manner, and I think in particular where there are people in jobs where uh, they're not at risk in any way whatsoever. Yeah. Particularly the five cases I referred to, um, the 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 all of the parties, one of the parties was in a permanent pensionable job. Uh, and their jobs were not at risk and I think that's the important issue. Okay, all right. And why we have you on the line, you were, I saw you on the TV last night, you are on the Special Committee on COVID-19. You met in public session uh, for the first time yesterday. It all seemed, it's, I suppose it's our new norm, but it seems a little bit strange. You're all social distancing very much. Absolutely. I mean, we have um, we had a, a number of problems yesterday morning because the regulation there, um, for instance, if any one of the committee uh, identifies with uh, COVID, then the question is we could have the whole committee in self-isolation for, for 14 days. So we have to be extremely careful about the time we can spend in the chamber and that once we've made our contribution, we um, move out to and look at the um, the proceedings from our own rooms, from the um, monitoring our own rooms. So even people might say, well, there's no one attending this committee. We are all working. Everyone was there. Everyone and was there. We, uh, were, were you happy with the way <clears throat> yesterday went? I was, I suppose. Um, the, the I think it's important to give recognition that there's a huge amount of work done um, right across the board by the healthcare staff, by nurses, doctors, the care assistants, by the admin staff in our whole healthcare area and also in administration of this. It has been very well done. I think, of course, there were uh, errors made and mistakes made, um, but you know it's important that we learn from those uh, errors and mistakes and that we move on and try to... We still are not out of the woods and this week could have a second surge and we have mm-hmm. to be ready for that as well. Um, I suppose there's a number of issues that we're trying to uh, progress at the moment. For instance, we have a lot of our 
private hospitals at the moment which are being underutilised and how do we get those back up and running uh, and start uh, making use of those facilities. Um, we need to get, there's a lot of people who were who were paying health insurance who are on a path of care and where that path of care has now uh, been sidelined. We need to get that back in order. And, and some of that path of care has simply ended, Colin, <clears throat> with people being told you need to go now on a public waiting list. No, in fact, we have that, got clarification on that from um, Paul Reid yesterday. In fact, if a consultant had someone on a path of care, um, there is nothing preventing that consultant from continuing on that path of care. The, the um, consultant cannot charge for any additional visits and can continue to provide the care if they've signed a Category A contract. If they haven't signed yeah. a contract, then the, the problem is that they still can't charge um, and they cannot, they, but there's nothing preventing them from providing the care. Okay. The problem is that they will still have ongoing expense and that'll be a difficult one for them to do. So, But some people are questioning why they're even paying private health insurance at the moment. I know companies have given uh, some refunds back, but there's still that whole question mark of why, why, why are we paying premiums every month? Yeah, I think it, it's it's. I think this is going to open up in the next. As you know, the contract with the private hospitals was for a three-month time period. Um, that will be reviewed at the end of May, and it is to end at the end of June. There's an option there to extend it for another two months. They may uh, come along and extend it for some facilities, but not all facilities. And uh, I think we need to be ready to deal with another surge if it arises. But I think we can do a better job in relation to managing how we use those facilities and that we make sure we get people who were getting medical treatment um, that they will continue and can resume getting that medical treatment. I think that's extremely important. Okay, and I think the other issue that caused some people to head scratch yesterday was the information that we shouldn't be in a room with somebody for more than two hours with people you know, planning on going back to work and schools reopening. How do, how do we get around not spending more than two hours in a room with a work colleague, well, even we, if you are social distancing? Well, we can, we can, you can, you can, I mean, employers can work on that. Um, I suppose it's something we'll have to look at each individual workspace has to be looked at individually um, to see what's the best way forward in dealing with that. We may also have a situation where uh, some employees will be in, in the mornings and some after lunch. Um, you know, So we, we will have to work out as regards each uh, place of employment. We'll have to look at it individually and work through that. Um, and it is going to be difficult right across the board. For instance, one of the issues that came up now in relation to running medical clinics, say, for instance, you normally had 50 people turning up for um, outpatient clinic. Mm. We may no longer be able to have 50 people there. We may be down to as, as little as 15. So how do we do um, that? Um, we may have to work on... Um, we may have to have a situation where we have to do some consultations by video link. Um and the, we, we've discussed this with the HSE about doing more of those, uh, that kind of work where people don't necessarily need to visit the hospital. Um, and we've all changed work practices. We all have seen how Videolink uh, can work. And certainly for some hospital appointments and medical appointments, Videolink is definitely the way to go. Absolutely. And even we might even have a situation where people will attend the hospital, but they will do the video link from within the hospital itself. Okay. Um, so yeah. there's a lot of work, but there's, a, there's yeah. a number of areas that 
you know, video link won't work. For instance, you take yeah. area like paediatrics, you take maternity. Yeah, it's I mean, there's they're, they're so more, there's got, they've got to be hands on. But we've all <coughs> had a medical appointment, Colin, where you sat across a desk with somebody and you've, you've answered questions. Absolutely, yeah. 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 And then okay. the other one is schools. I mean, people are, parents, some parents are getting very frantic about schools and will schools ever reopen? Yeah, and it's a it's a big issue, and it's also a big issue for people. Say, for instance, where I I called last night from someone where both parties are working for the HSE, and they're working in an area where you know they cannot get time off, and they have three young children, um, and they're having difficulty in getting childminders and all that, and it's a huge challenge for them. Um, but in racial schools. It's each school, again, we're going to have to look at that and hopefully there will be further improvement in relation to um, the management of this uh, COVID-19 between now and the 1st of September. But I think schools will have to look at, um, <clears throat> look for additional space <coughs> um, where where it's, <coughs> sorry, where there isn't um, adequate space in, 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 in schools and that's something that may have to be planned as well. OK, all right, listen, we appreciate you taking our call, uh, Colm. Welcome. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Uh, that is uh, Fine Gael Dole, Deputy Colin Burke on banks. Uh, Michael said, do those banks realise that of all of the people with money in that bank decided to change, withdraw the money and move to another bank, that bank wouldn't be long remaining open. We could close them down. The banks need people to put their money in there as well. Uh, they need to kind of cop on a little bit and it does seem very, very unfair. And somebody else on, on our Twitter at C103 Cork says, hopefully all borrowers will slowly get back to work. The pay slips will be clean again, which is what the banks are looking for and their dream home plans are delayed and not uh, abandoned. And uh, yeah, but but some of it is un necessary, it's uncalled for just because somebody has a COVID-19 wage subsidy their pay is exactly the same, they're bringing home the same amount of money that they always were, there is no reason for them not to be allowed to draw down their uh, mortgage uh, for sure Just quickly on a WhatsApp in on the banks, Mary said, listening to banks uh, an old saying, banks give you an umbrella when it's dry and they take it away when it's wet, how can a bank make mortgage rep- repayments on person paying rent they appear to be a law unto themselves Court today on C103 with Mallow College now enrolling for courses in September plan your future education see the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie Adapting to being at home full-time can be challenging for everyone. Some of us are trying to balance working from home with homeschooling, and some of us are extremely lonely, with the days long and hard to fill. Make a new routine that includes some physical activity, social activity, and some timed breaks. If you've got kids, understand that they might be anxious and fearful about the current situation. Talk to them, acknowledge their fears, and reassure them. You can also build a strong relationship with your child through playing with them. It's also really important to stay connected to family and friends you can be with during this time so put your phone to good use stay safe and stay up to date with all COVID-19 information at c103.ie for c103 photos and more follow us on Instagram at c103cork to our limit and which workers that was spoken about yesterday at the COVID-19 uh, committee what about the two hour limit in the Dáil and your shop workers and everybody else have to work long uh, hours except uh, TDs says this uh, texter well that two hour limit is going to affect uh, so many people Cork today on C103 with Mallow College now enrolling for courses in September plan your future education see the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie 
The C103 Cork Diary is a free service to help non-profit organisations all over Cork. So, if you're a community group or a charity that's holding a fundraising event or meeting, send us the details at least one week in advance and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email info at c103.ie. The Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses. Supporting communities. Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. C103. COVID-19 continues to impact on our day-to-day lives. We want to remind you of some practical ways to protect yourself. Wash your hands properly and often. Cover your mouth and nose when you cough or sneeze. And dispose of used tissues. Disinfect frequently touched objects. Avoid any contact with people from outside of your household. Don't touch your eyes, nose or mouth if your hands are not clean. And please follow all advice issued by the HSC and the government. This message is supported by Irwin's Farmer. Shandon Street, Mayfield and Toker. Always looking after your family. For coronavirus updates and information, stay listening to C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And just a couple of queries that have come in that we're looking into for people. Someone was on saying, morning, could you find out when is the Bank of Ireland in Mill Street going to reopen again? Because you remember at the very start, it seems an eternity ago now, at the very start of the COVID-19 pandemic, a number of Bank of Ireland branches were, were temporarily closed because of the pandemic and Mill Street was one of them. Uh, so we've, we've sent an email off to find out have they any idea when they may reopen that particular branch again or indeed the other branches. There was a number of branches. There was a bit of confusion at the start. They had issued the a list of branches that were to close and then that list was wrong and they had to reissue us with the second one and it caused great kerfuffle at, at the start. So we take it all of the branches that they temporarily closed are still closed. So we'll see have they any plans for the reopening. And then Teresa was on to say, hi, my mother-in-law has three tickets for Daniel O'Donnell in Killarney in the Glen Eagle in September. I'm wondering if you any information on this. Uh, will it be cancelled? Says uh, Teresa. So we got on to the uh, INEC in Killarney just to take a look at it was running up on their website and it's still advertised as being on. I mean, so I've no, I, I'm assuming it'll be one of the ones cancelled because cancellations are starting to come in now for events that are happening past the summer. I mean, only yesterday uh, we spoke about the cancellation of the Dublin City Marathon. So September, I suppose they're waiting to see. I'm assuming that the Glen Eagle are waiting to see are they allowed to hold big events or not. Anyway, we've banged an email out to them just to see... when and when they're likely to make a decision so that people can make plans and, and arrangements. Uh, but as of now, it it seems that it's still set to go ahead. But will will it be cancelled? Uh, time will tell. But most, as I say, uh, we're hearing almost on a daily basis now of events around that time that are being cancelled. Let me go to the comment line where Tom has contacted us. He lives in what's described as a student area of the city. Uh, good morning to you, Tom. Uh, good morning, Patricia. Tom, you're saying students are having parties. Hello? Can you hear me? You're, you're telling us the students are having parties. I am, yeah. Uh, what have you seen? I, there's, they're moving back in to the area I live in, surrounding areas, over the last couple of days. And uh, they're having all-night parties. Um, and they seem to be moving from one house to another in the early hours of the morning. You know, uh, and they're definitely students. Oh, <laughs> uh, shadow of a doubt, uh, because I've seen them 
the UCC jersey, you know, with the cross and bone. But sure, um, but sure. Well, any, anyone can wear a UCC no, uh, jersey. No, but, but, yeah, but anyway, the, yeah. these, these are houses that had been emptied once the colleges closed. Uh, most of the houses had been vacated, I suppose, in late March there when this other thing kicked in, the coronavirus. Because all and of the students went home? Well, most of them, not all of them. Uh, some stayed on. And I noticed the, the last couple of days now... Uh, they're moving back in little pockets into properties. And they're parting. Um, I personally, like, I was up all night last night myself over one of these parties, you know. Uh, people, com- people coming and going all hours of the night. They were obviously moving from house one to, house, house to, to another. another house. And back. And Did you contact the Gardaí? Oh, I did. Did. What did they um, tell? What did they say? Um, it was the number of guards called a property, and um, they, they went in, and uh, there was a number of individuals came out. The guards went away, and uh, there was people coming and going from the house up to about quarter to eight this morning. Well, that's, and, that's a party, and there. After the guards were, were gone, maybe <clears throat> it was for my benefit. We were getting blasts of that music that comes through the wall. Great uh, music. I know, I know. Uh, every, Do you every, know, have you any idea who the landlord or landlady is of the property? Oh, I do, I do. Have you tried contacting he oh, or she? I've contacted both of these people over the years. You get nowhere. Uh, the... Well, you see, there was a legal thing a number right, of years we'll, ago. Okay, well, we 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 I'm won't. Not going to go into no, okay, but, uh, okay. But your your point never, is your point is you reckon that some of the students are moving back into the city and it's going to cause problems with COVID nineteen because, from what you're describing, there was no social distancing going on and there's people moving from house to house. Oh yeah, yeah. oh sure, look. There's, yeah. there's no doubt that's, that's the other side of it. Yeah. <laughs> and they're not back at college because all of the colleges no, no. Are, are, no. are closed. They could be back at work, though. There, there, there may be work as some... some We know work is, is opening up yeah. for some people. OK, all right, but you just want to highlight it and it is a worry and it is uh, a concern for sure. OK, uh, Tom, we'll just see if anybody else... Thanks for that. If any, Tom lives in the College Road area, if anybody else has noticed that students are returning and they are doing what students do in that they are having uh, parties and they have uh, not announced those sense when it comes to social distancing and are we then, because we've been talking about the fact that it's not in the community Well, it looks like it's been suppressed COVID-19 has been suppressed in the community but if you get people carrying on like that it won't be long before it's back in the community and we won't be suppressing it we'll be seeing the numbers going up and then we'll be back to square one all over again and the easing of restrictions will be going backwards instead of uh, forwards now yesterday during our discussion on the cancellation of driving tests during the COVID-19 crisis some listeners are trying to come up with suggestions on how driving tests could be held while keeping everybody safe now one suggestion was why not put cameras into the car and let the tester review the footage and then rate the learner driver that way. Uh, Martin Hennessy is a driving instructor in Charleville. He was listening to us and he, he contacted us and he joins me now. Good morning to you, Martin. Good morning, Patricia. Martin, How are you? I'm very well, thank you. You don't think the cameras in the car idea is a good one and you don't think it would work. Why? 
Well, okay, I suppose there's a number of things really. Look, I mean, it's great that people are coming out with all these ideas at the moment and they take the time to think about these things, but safety would be the big issue. Uh, you can't really have people driving around and learning permits and in cars on their own and uh, reviewing footage afterwards. They just wouldn't be... The safety would be the big issue there, I'd say, you know. Um, what so, about using the motorbike way of testing that uh, a driver is in a different car? That's the same yeah. thing, though. It would be the drive. Your point would be the learner driver would be on their own. Well, you know, the road safety charge authority have changed so many things in the last few years. I think the last thing they want to do is to go backwards and, to, like, all these things would take time to change. It wouldn't be just a case of let's just do this or do that. You know, um, all these things take time to sort out. Um, you know, like the the test centres have been closed now for ten weeks. Like, so yes, it is a reasonable amount of time, but. We're only at stage one of stage five. We're probably at stage five or six, I'd say, for the likes of driving tests and test centres and all that kind of stuff, you know. So there are, you know, there are a number of things that are problems with, I know people some mentioned about having screens in the car and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Well, you'd have issues with airbags in cars, you'd have issues with insurance, you'd have issues with anyone that remodified their car, like uh, even if somebody bumped their head and it was a bit of a tip, like somebody could put in a claim. So you've got all those kind of things that would need sorting out. So it's not just a case of uh, there's any quick fix to this, I don't think, you know. Yeah, somebody else is saying, could the tester and the learner driver not wear PPE gear, face masks, gloves, etc.? Yeah, see, I think the biggest problem really is when she, when Minister Shane Ross um, came on last week, the big thing that I heard in his conversation was until we relax the two-metre social distancing that that was going to be the biggest issue. And obviously it's the biggest issue for other organisations as well. And, you know, uh, as as has as been said before, like we're one of the businesses that will be probably twice as hard to open as it was to close. Because of the social um, distancing. Yeah. Um, and look, uh, when uh, John Paul rang me yesterday and, I, and I, I just did a bit of research there in the last couple of days and like in England at the moment, like, Everything's in shutdown there, the same as they are here. There's no driving tests happening. There's 62 million people there. Um, so they have to find ways. And a lot of it is, 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 it's a bit of a time game because until we know that this is nearly out of the community, the COVID-19, like it's very hard to be within that space of a person for an hour at a time on lessons and on driving tests and, and for safety regulations, um, I also spoke to somebody in Germany. Uh, they're an up-and-coming country out of COVID-19. That's all shut down for driving tests at the moment. There's nothing happening there. So, like, even though it all sounds very negative, it, it, it's a bit of a time game. Like, we're only starting it's, stage one. It's, it's a pretty grim picture you're painting. It's almost like we will not be able to have driving tests uh, because social distancing is going to be with us. Some say social distancing will be with us until we have a vaccine. Well, I'll be honest with you, and as I said, the reason I decided to just point out a few things, I could hear people's frustration and and what can we do and what can we do, but basically, um, you know, down the road, everything will come back eventually, but this is really a time game at the moment. Like, the RSA are very good at accommodating tests and changing things and if they have to like 11 years ago when I started this business there was a backlog of 180,000 people to do the driving test mm-hmm. and if you fail your driving test that time you're waiting nine and a half months to do I remember test, I remember as well we did so many interviews uh, about it yeah, but I mean so what but, but the, the, the what will these the, this period of shutdown what will it do to the waiting times for a test 
Well, the waiting time was down to about three or four weeks before all this happened. And over the last couple of years, the Road Safety Authority had taken on many new testers to get rid of the backlog. So that's not really the big issue because it, at the moment there's also no theory test going on. So that means there's no new people coming well, on with new true. learner permits. That's true. So that's, that's not going to cause any... You know, the people that have been affected for the last 10 weeks, like we're not talking 10 months now, we're, taking, we're talking 10 weeks. So, And all those people that had their tests cancelled will be reprioritised. Like one of the emails that the Road Safety Authority sent out, the only one they sent out since the shutdown on Friday the 13th of March was basically that they envisage reopening on a limited basis with new protocols where customers need to be prioritised yeah. on a phased basis and driving instructors and the public aligned to HSE guidelines. So we're in the same situation. We're all in the same boat together. It's just that we're all having different experiences, you know. And do you think those whose tests were cancelled will be given the first of the new tests whenever it comes back up? Well, that would definitely be like, I mean, they always do things on a priority basis. That okay, can't have well, that's good to hear. Yeah, and like they've always been good at like if you were immigrating to Canada in a couple of months' time and you said I need my license before my test before my license run out, they were always good to accommodate people. They were. They were. The last thing they want to do is to give a driving test to somebody who doesn't want it, and that's costing them money as well. You know. Margaret says, um, "Hi, Patricia. Redriving tests could they could they not do like what they've done for the leaving cert and ask the driving instructor to predict if they feel the person would have passed the test? How would you feel about that? A predictive <laughs> grade, a calculated grade." I was listening to your program yesterday and uh, basically, you know, we had a situation where the chap was saying he did his tractor test back in the 1970s. I mean, that's 50 years ago where you could literally watch somebody from a distance and I think those days are kind of gone, you know, we, we moved a lot. Safety regulation is a, is a big thing in all this, you know, the same as any other business. But you, um, would, you would know your students well. You, you, are, you, uh, you know the ones that are going to pass, do you? Well, you'd have a fair idea, but obviously, like you know, like before you even get to a test, you you've got the likes of ourselves driving instructors to driving lessons. So even before they even turn up at a test centre, they've got to figure out a way how driving instructors can give driving lessons and get into the car safely. And have you got COVID nineteen? Do you know anybody that has it? Have you got a tracing program for where you've been for the last three weeks and temperature checks and cleaning things down? And it's not just as simple as that. Know, Unfortunately, it, it, it's, it's a minefield of stuff. That's and you're you're without work at the moment. Completely without work. Uh, Friday the 13th of March, the test centres closed. I was in Mallard that day and believe it or not, it was going to be one of my busiest two weeks of the year. I had so many tests in the following two weeks and within one hour of receiving an email from the Road Safety Authority, I was at home. And I've been at home since because uh, when I was reading through the email, they were stating that uh, for the safety of our testers and I was kind of looking at the safety for myself and self-employed so I was at home in an hour and I've got the car outside, tax insured, NCT, ready to go. But unfortunately, we have to buy by the rules the same as everyone else, you know. OK, uh, can you answer this question? Uh, John says, if a person has an English provisional licence, can they drive in this country once they have a fully qualified driver sitting beside them? Does Martin know? They can. They can. It's within the EU. They've got a full license, and uh, yeah, that's fine. It's a, it's, um, it's a provisional. Yeah, it's a provision, but they need oh, to they need to abide by our rules that they oh, need to have yeah, a fully qualified driver with them. Um, an English provisional uh, is an English provisional recognised. Yeah, uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure about that. Uh, 
I'm not 100 percent. Okay, sure well, about we'll that. get it checked. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll find out. Is a UK provisional license? Um, is it recognised here? Like, if you had a, a full UK license driving over here, you would be a problem. But yeah, but it's a, a th- this is a learning permit. I'd say. Um, see, a lot of the stuff we do actually follows the English. Like, even when I became a driving instructor years ago, we had we, we, we were buying handbooks that time that were from the English market. We were following what they were doing, so we follow a lot of the stuff that they are doing anyway. Uh, it's yeah, but there was the big rush, wasn't there, with Brexit for people with their UK license to to change it over to an Irish one? Yeah, that's correct. We, we were that's getting correct. everybody. We, we, we'll, we'll get we'll get an answer on it. And then Robbie in Bantry was on was on to us to say he has a fifty cc scooter. He applied for his driving test last September. Got a call to say that they wouldn't be able to do it until March or April of this year, twenty twenty. So they issued uh, they issued Robbie with a one year license from December twenty nineteen until December twenty twenty. They don't no- normally do that because he said I've already used up the two two year permits. So he said now yeah. I'm actually into my fifth year on a permit. But my driving test is paid for. But because I have the letter to prove that I have a test booked, uh, that's how I managed to get another one year licence. But my problem now is nobody saw the pandemic coming. What if the pandemic is not ended before December and my licence expires? Will it be extended? Will I have to reapply? Will the letter carry, carry me over until then? Okay, well, um, just on that note about like extensions of licences, I, I have a contract with the Irish Wheelchair Association as well. I do all the driving assessments for people. With, so if you've been to a doctor and you have an, an illness and the doctor can't sign you off, you need an assessment. So you've got all these people at the moment who've been driving for years and who have to come back to either have an assessment done or like that chap um, needs to do his test. Like they will extend those licences. It's not their fault that, they, that this pandemic uh, came upon them and so they will reissue those licences to the people who had them reissued so they can do their test. Otherwise, it's kind of back to square one. Yeah, because it's unfair and it isn't Robbie or anybody else's yeah. fault. And I know all the lear- learner permits due to expire before June 30th have been, um, are valid for another four months. And I'm assuming they'll change that again if if the pandemic does go on and we don't get back to testing before the end of the year. It'll just it'll keep getting extended by the four months. So you'll well, be OK, Robbie, I'd say. Well, I'm glad you said the end of the year, Patricia, because I have a feeling like we'll be at stage five on the 10th of August and we're probably on stage maybe six. Uh, but if everything goes according to plan, but even at that, like I would be surprised if I would be back at work by September. And if I am, obviously that would be great. But I could see this running into the end of the year with problems. Um, and even if it comes back, it's going to be on a limited basis, you know. Do you miss it? Um, yeah, well, look, I miss it, but there's, there's plenty of things. What I would say to people at the moment, especially young people at the moment, like there's a lot of young people at the moment who would have predicted a few months ago that they wouldn't be doing their leaving cert, that they wouldn't be in school now. What I would say to people is just prioritise five things that you want to do and don't spend so much time concentrating on the things that you can't do and prioritise on the things that you can do now and leave the other ones on the back burner until you come back and, Hold on. and, and, and get advice. those going. And what's, and keep, you, what's keeping you busy? What are you prioritising? Well, I've got twin boys, four years of age. Oh, <laughs> you're busy. Minding them. Um, I'm gardening and whatever kind of stuff. Uh, look, you just find things. You just really got to think outside the box, you reinvent yourself a small bit. And and to the young people who have learned their permits at the moment, like they can always use their sponsor, their parents or a family friend and go out and do a bit of practice. They, they can, you know, within the 5K, they can still get out and get plenty of practice. That's if true. you're waiting to That's do your true. theory test get your CD, be ready for your theory test when the time comes and 
and just play the waiting game the same as everyone else. And but then when it, o- when it opens up, when it opens up, you'll sail through it, hopefully. OK, listen, Martin, uh, lovely to talk to you. Thank you for that. Stay safe. No problem. No and problem. Uh, a bu- busy household with uh, Bye Bye with uh, twin boys of four, I can tell you. That's Martin Hennessy, who is a driving instructor in uh, Charleville. By the way, the INEC have been back to us by sheer coincidence. They are making the announcement on the Daniel O'Donnell gig at uh, midday today. Uh, so we'll have more news later on on the programme. I can nearly predict it's going to get cancelled but let's leave it to the INEC but they happen to be making an announcement at 12 midday today and Vodafone remember yesterday we had calls in from a number of people in the West Cork area who were having problems with Vodafone, calls were dropping out, people weren't able to make calls people had no reception, very very frustrating particularly for family members for people who are working from home uh, Vodafone have confirmed to C103 that engineers found, a, because they sent engineers out to the area, they They've confirmed they found a small fault at the site that serves the Timaleague and Court McSherry area where the majority of calls to C103 are having problems with mobile phone and data services and the engineers have fixed the problems. That is good news to the people of uh, Timaleague, Court McSherry, the surrounding areas in West Cork. Your Vodafone problems have been sorted. 1850. Uh, and thank you to Vo- for Vodafone for responding. 1850-333-103. Court today on C103. With Mallow College. Now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie It's time to stay Due to COVID-19, cocooning is advised for all people over 70 years old. If a family member or friend is cocooning, here's some helpful advice. They should stay home and avoid face-to-face contact. Keep in touch by phone or online. Stay mobile by moving as much as possible. Go for a short walk while maintaining strict social distancing. Ask others to get shopping or medicine. Use the phone to contact their GP or other services. And remember, no visitors except for essential carers. It's time to stay This message is supported by Home Instead Senior Care. Their staff are fully equipped to ensure your loved one's safety in their own homes. See homeinstead.ie. For COVID-19 updates and information, stay listening to C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Last Monday, we were attempting to have a chat with the Society of St. Vincent Paul just to see how they're getting on uh, during this uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic. And unfortunately, technology left us down. And Paddy Flynn, who is the Southwest Regional President with the Society of St. Vincent Paul, is back with us. And he's on a good old fashioned landline that hopefully won't let us down today. Uh, good morning to you, Paddy. Good morning, Patricia. Good I, to speak to you this I, time. I could hear you loud and yeah, uh, clear. Great. Now, I was asking you on Monday, are you seeing an increase in calls from people as a direct result of the pandemic? We are, but it's not quite dramatic. I mean, the, the increase we're seeing at the moment, I was looking at last week's figures, are somewhere between 10 and 15%. And I'm talking about the Cork City and surrounding areas, even though I do have responsibility for Cork and Kerry. But I know you want to talk about Cork more than the rest of the region. So, yes, about 10 or 15 percent, which would be coming from um, directly coming from the uh, knock on effect of the virus. Yes. But, uh, of course, it doesn't end there. 
if you wish me to go on a little yeah, bit. Because, yeah, because but you, you, your problem is, uh, as with a lot of charities, but especially with the Society of Vincent de Paul, your normal stream of funding must have dried up. Well, we depend hugely on Churchgate collections and um, equally uh, from what we call our charity shops, our Vincent's shops, of which there are 19 servicing our Greater Cork area. They've all been closed down since the beginning of March, as you know. Mm. And looking forward, it as best we can with a crystal ball, it, we, it looks as if uh, God knows when church will, churches will reopen to congregations, but we are looking at a program for shops reopening gradually, which we could talk about in a minute. But by and large, we estimate that we are going to lose forever and not recover between one-third and 50% of this year's income, which is a huge blow, and um, it does mean that, um, that that's why we're, we're, we're um, doing both a national and a local fundraising campaign at the moment. So you're dip, I mean, I know uh, all of the different conferences are very good uh, about watching their money and they have rainy day funds. I'm assuming that's what you're dipping into at the moment is the savings. Well, we are. We have certainly conferences are very prudent because that's our rule in the way in which they spend their, 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 their money. They, they're, they're very well aware that they're actually custodians, just custodians of the great charity from which we benefit. Yes, some conferences are more well-off than others, but we do have within St. Vincent de Paul a great Vincentian rule, which is that we share. And at the moment, we have conferences who operate in what might be called slightly better off areas, and they are being asked, and indeed most of them are generously sharing those, those, those finances, those reserves, little as they are, and across. The, the entire region well done. As, as necessary. Well done. You know? well, well done. And we sadly know, uh, Paddy, that not everyone will go back to work or will go back to full-time uh, employment. Are you expecting a surge in calls? We are, actually. I mean, we had a, a prediction there yet last Friday, it was, that uh, when this is over, and God knows when that is going to be, uh, countrywide will be left with an increase of around 300,000 people uh, more than you more than previously unemployed this is going to create quite a surge uh, on our on our resources um and a lot of those people to no fault of their own will have no jobs to to return to what what we're, what we're saying here in our national campaign is that many to no fault of their own will will actually remain trapped in poverty mm. well mm. beyond the lock the end of the lockdown as you know the, the various subsidies and unemployment support are going to taper away yeah that's inevitable yeah and we will be left with something like facing something like we faced in the past in the recession and um you know we're we're actually budgeting um for that kind of thing to eventuality so will students returning to third level present an additional challenge for you uh, oh. Well, I'm glad you mentioned education because over the last two years we have begun to concentrate more on supporting students who otherwise couldn't into education up into ter- third level because we, we actually, as a, as a society, believe that education is absolutely a passport, permanent passport out of poverty. This year, we have a double problem. One is that students who normally help themselves with summer jobs in the hospitality industry, in pubs, even in J1s in America, that's not happening. Yeah. Number two, the second side of that, 
and in parallel is that when they will, when when they apply for uh, from co- for uh, Susie, their parents' income will be judged on their 2019 income, but the parents' in, the parents' actual income this year will be what will be used to to support the kids going to, to college. And, and if they're if they're year, out of be, work, yeah. be down as well, and some of them are, some of them are going to be absolutely unemployed. And they won't be entitled to Susie because if they look at the figures for 2019 while well, everybody was working and everything was rosy in the garden. Yeah, that's what I was attempting that's, to say there. That's Patricia, tough. Thanks for helping me. That's tough. 2019, full employment practically 4.5% nationally. Most people working. That's the basis of assessment for Susie this, for the 2020-21 academic year. And we're facing it now. We actually have a, a, meeting, a, a meeting this afternoon to try and establish a budget and to try and establish the criteria we will apply for next year because... Well done. Well hopefully done. Hopefully we will, you know, we will depend on the public as we always have done. They've never let us down um, in session and in floods in Cork. So we're hoping that... Um, People will, will be, as, will be as generous as, as ever. Yeah. You mentioned the charity shops and I have to say, Paddy, I'd say since the lockdown began, we've, we regularly get calls in from people saying, any idea when the charity shops uh, are going to open? And the Vincent's ones are often mentioned. Uh, people love the idea of those shops. Great place to get a bargain. Yeah. But they love the idea because they're able to donate there um, and, they're, you know, and they see the need for them. What are the plans for the Vincent's shops? Well, yeah... Yeah, we're right in the middle of that plan now because we have actually 39 shops across the region and we're planning a three-phased approach. We have to be careful, both in terms of protecting our staff and also, of course, protecting the public who support us. So we have a lot of work to do in each of the shops. So what we've done is we've, we've from, the June, from June the 8th, we will gradually open over the, fo- the week following that or 10 days probably 12 to 15 of the 39 shops. Okay. And then based on that experience, we will gradually open the rest of them between then, between the middle of June and probably out in towards the end of July. Okay, because people have missed them. People really have missed the charity shops. And I can assure you, we have missed We've them missed, as well. We've missed the income. Let me take the opportunity of telling the public that right now we're taking away the old, um, we've got some people back in the shops with permission of HSE and, and, and the COVID protocols. They're actually deep cleaning, Great. changing the shops to comply with the COVID protocols. But as far as our supporters are concerned, we're taking away all the kind of winter clothing and uh, materials we had in March. And that's all now being replaced with summer, summer materials. So, yes, hopefully our normal supporters will come back to us. They will indeed. And they will see new stock and hopefully uh, a, a safe place to shop. From okay. uh, the middle of June to towards the end of July, we okay. hope to get them all back. All yes. right. And in the meantime, uh, Paddy, people who have a spare few bob, they might consider. And remember, the site is the Vincent de Paul. How can they donate to you? Well, they can donate to our um, office in Cork, which and there are three people. People always there. The information office ready to take calls okay. at o two one four two seven zero four four four. Give you it again. 021-427-0-4 okay. or 
svp.ie. Okay, listen, Paddy, stay stay safe. You're a, a remarkable organisation. Long may you continue. And uh, thanks a million for joining us on the programme today. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to explain. Thanks Our pleasure. Uh, good morning Cheers. to you. Bye bye. Paddy O'Flynn there, who is the Southwest Regional President with the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. Court today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. The impact of COVID-19 on our economy and employment has been sudden and will be enormous. The Irish government recently announced new and unprecedented measures to assist those who have already experienced job loss as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic and to protect those who are still in employment. If you work in essential health, social care or other essential services and cannot work from home, you can work and travel to work. In all other situations, employees must work from home. In some cases, it will not be possible to work from home. Your employer can and continue to pay you under the temporary COVID-19 wage subsidy scheme while you are temporarily laid off from work or working fewer hours. Or you may be able to apply for a social welfare payment like the COVID-19 pandemic unemployment payment. For more information, request a callback from the Citizens Information Service. Stay safe and stay up to date with all COVID-19 information at c103.ie. A group of seamstresses spread across five direct provision centres are making face masks to help protect the vulnerable from COVID-19. And joining me from a group called the Sanctuary Mask Initiative, I'm joined by their programme manager, who is Vera Stanovich. And I hope I'm pronouncing that. I hope I'm pronouncing your surname right, uh, Vera. Good morning to you. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? You're very welcome to the programme. Give me Thanks the background here. Who came up with the idea of making these face masks? So, um, basically, the, the organisation was uh, set up by Better Together, which is a charity that works with women in direct provision, and the Cork Migrant Centre, which also works with women in direct provision. So, um, when, the, uh, when the lockdown was starting to happen, we put out a call to women that we work with to see what they needed this time. Um, and the things that they came up with was were um, face masks and uh, hand sanitizer, both of which, if you remember, were totally impossible to get Absolutely. at the time. Absolutely, they were like <laughs> yeah. gold dust. So that's where the idea came from. One of the women, Olga, has um, she lives in Kinsale Road Accommodation Centre, and she has a sewing studio um, in Cork City. So we caught, we reached out to Olga to see if she'd be interested or if she'd be able to make a few masks. And that same afternoon, she came back to us with a prototype. So uh, it kind of spiralled from there. Way, way to go, Olga. And then yeah. did you discover then that there was many, I'm assuming mainly women, is it in the direct provision centres are, are, are good seamstresses? Yeah, so we have, um, the Cork Migrant Centre had, were, were running um, a hairband project. They were making hairbands with um, a group called Charlotte and Jane. Um, so they already had, they already trained some of the women as seamstresses. Okay. Um, so we were able to we were able to ask those women to come along, but then after we'd recruited those other women, started coming out of the woodwork. Uh, many of them are, attend the coffee morning that the Cork Migrant Centre hold every Friday. So we kind of between our two organisations, we had links with lots of different women. Um, and yeah, so now we have twenty across five centres. Fantastic. And which of the five centres? Uh, Kinsale Road, uh, McCroom, Canonic Hilty. Uh, Ashburn House and then Mill Street. Oh, wow, fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, and so how, ma- variety. how many face masks have we made to date? To date, we've made about 8,000. And, and where do you distribute them to? 
Um, so first of all, so there's, there's kind of two phases to the project. The first phase is we wanted to distribute three face masks to everybody living in direct provision in all seven centres in Cork County and City. Okay. Um, and then the second part was our, we wanted to do a community outreach part of our, our initiative where we gave them to other vulnerable communities and to volunteers who are working uh, on the front line but not in a medical capacity. Um, so, so far we've, as of last weekend, uh, we have... Um, completed the. We've been able to provide three to every every person living in direct provision in Cork. So that was the first. Yeah, isn't that um, fantastic? That and yeah. and then the material and mm-hmm. the threads and the needles and everything else you need. Where are they all coming from? Um, so at the beginning we did. Um, uh, I'm I'm involved in the UCC University of Sanctuary. Uh, we we gotten some funding from them through Better Together for a different project that now can't go ahead. So we we contacted them to see if we could redirect some of the funding that they were giving us. Um, and UCT are very involved in this project as well. Um, and two of the lecturers, Mike Fitzgibbon and Jackie O'Reardon, they run um, a children's parties, a children's Easter party in UCC. So so the University of Century were able to redirect those funds to us as well. So that gave us a good tool to start with getting um, getting materials and that kind of a thing. And are you making sort of all different? Are they brightly coloured? Some of them all different? Yeah, they're yeah. gorgeous. They're are really they? beautiful. <laughs> yeah, they're all. Um, they're all. We have a lot of inquiries about them, and um, they're like they're all. See, our fabric has a lot of it is donated as well. Great. We only accept um, 100% cotton because it's breathable. Um, but a lot of our fabric is donated, and we've gotten a lot of it from different. Um, We've been buying different sale batches from different <laughs> uh, shops around Cork. So, so they're some of all these... mismatched, like all different colours and patterns. Because um, some of yeah. these face masks, Vera, have almost become fashion statements. That's kind of, that's pretty much what ours are. We didn't intend it to be, but <laughs> the fabric and the, quali- the quality, like they're really beautiful. Like the women are just amazing. Uh, but they really are they're gorgeous I wear one all the time now. Well done. Um, half well done. for perfect protection and the other half just because they look cool you know? <laughs> <laughs> and of course all of these the, the, the homemade ones as, as we call them face masks are brilliant in that they're washable and reusable yeah. yeah and this is one of the things as well especially now since, since there, there's been announcements made that um, people should be wearing them in different areas like crowded areas and public transport and that kind of a thing like we, we wanted to we wanted to to make these masks because we had the skills to do it, but also from a kind of conscious point of view, like I don't think it's right to buy medical masks when they're in short supply for actual medical staff, you know. Mm. So that's one of the reasons that the the, the wash up the reusable ones are so good because it takes the pressure off people who actually need the medical. Absolutely, ones. absolutely. And yeah. and I take it for the women involved, it's giving them a sense of purpose and it's it's giving them something to do. Yeah, well, that's just the thing. Like, one of the um, the lockdown is difficult for everybody, but like as you know, the Department of Justice hasn't moved people out of the centres yet. There's been a little bit of the thinning, like thinning of the centres um, in Cork, but most people are still living in their like in a room with their whole family. So, as as bad as the lockdown is on on regular people in society's mental health, if you're living in a direct provision centre, it's much more difficult to be able to in one room. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and we know um, there's been clusters in direct provisions, as was predicted, yeah. was going to happen because mm-hmm. of their living conditions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's one of the things. Like uh, the project, we started off making masks, but I think 
the main the main reason that we went ahead with the project was, and the main reason that we recruited twenty women. We don't um, they're they're making them faster than we can keep up with them, is because we wanted to give women and something that that will help with their with their mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has been excellent. We've had some great stories from um, Naomi Machetti from the Cork Migrant Centre. She they still have they've moved their coffee morning to a virtual coffee morning. So twice a week the women ring in and they all have coffee in their rooms and and chat. But Naomi's gotten some brilliant feedback from the women from that. Like uh, one of the women was saying that she can't access her. Um, uh, she's essentially in her room and she was she was she was having trouble sleeping and. Um, her mental health was very bad. And then when she started doing the math project, she said, oh, now I know what I do when I can't sleep. I just make some math and then oh. the next night I'm I'm fit for bed, you know. Well done, um, well done, so well it's done. Great. It's a, it's a yeah. brilliant initiative. Um, continued uh, g- uh, good luck with it, Vera, and pass on our best, best wishes. And our thanks to all of the ladies uh, for, the, for the time that they're spending uh, making these uh, masks. And in the meantime, thank you for joining us on the programme. Good morning to you. Bye-bye, bye-bye and stay safe. That is Vera uh, Stanovich who is with the, she's the programme manager with the Sanctuary Mask Initiative. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. The Glen Eagle in Killarney have been back on to us when we put a call through this morning for one of our listeners whose mother-in-law has three tickets to the Daniel O'Donnell concerts in September and was wondering what is happening. Well, they have confirmed due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the Daniel O'Donnell concerts have been rescheduled to next year. So there was due to be four concerts held in September, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday at the end of September. They're now going to go ahead on Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, 12 13th, 14th and 15th of August. If you had tickets for the Thursday night concert on the 24th of September, your tickets will be valid for the Thursday night concert next year on the 12th of August. Friday ones for Friday, Saturday for Saturday and Sunday for uh, Sunday. But the Daniel O'Donnell concerts for September at the Glen Eagle has been put off until next year. I just want to bring you a quick email to Patricia at c103.ie. Says, morning Patricia, hope you're safe and well. I would really appreciate it if you could air the following at some stage this morning. I was on my way to Mallow at around half past nine this morning from the Canturk side and on the main Mallow to Killarney Road, about a half a mile back from where the Longueville House sign is on your left, I saw at a very quick glance from the corner of my eye a dead dog at the side of the road. It's not far back from the Ballyclaw Cross when coming from the Mallow side. I find it hard to, to, to describe exactly what type of a dog it was, but it looked to be a medium-sized dog, white body, possibly with some black colouring. At a guess, and this, believe me, is only a guess because I only saw it at the corner of my eye as I was driving by, I thought it looked like a beagle-type dog. It had that type of appearance. I thought that someone's beloved pet is lying there motionless and somebody is out there waiting for their friend to come home, but at least not lying at the side of the road suffering. I have been there so many times before, being the owner of an animal and the wonderful years of such unconditional love and the gift that it can be that we've all been fortunately blessed with. I thank you for taking the time to read this out and I hope this dog can be reunited with the owner and to say that I'm sorry for their sad loss. Thanking you. OK, so if somebody is missing a predominantly white dog 
possibly with some black uh, markings. Uh, sad news to tell you, it is on the main Mallow Killarney uh, Road, but nobody wants to see an animal just left uh, lying there. And thank you to that listener for emailing us when she got to work to Patricia at c103.ie. Now, I want to go to the phone lines where Geraldine Hassett in Blarney joins me. Good afternoon to you, Geraldine. Good afternoon, Patricia, and thank you for affording me the opportunity to speak with you. Today. My pleasure. Now, you and a group of residents are going to be protesting tomorrow morning. Tell us why. We are, Patricia. Um, well, we're on the main road here, um, just outside Blarney Village, heading towards the Colleen, or to the Clohean direction. And we've seen over, unfortunately, with COVID-19, we've seen a huge increase in the numbers of cars and heavy goods vehicles speeding on our roads. Um, obviously with many of us walking now, cycling, running and checking in on our families and neighbours during the pandemic, we've never been really more at risk of being seriously injured by a speeding vehicle. Um, now, um, it, that's a 50 kilometre zone, isn't it? Because it? it's a residential it is, area. It is a residential area, yep. And it is a 50 kilometre zone and unfortunately the speeds the speeds are up to 80, 90, over 100. Whoa, whoa. Um, it is frightening. The, um, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of employment um, close to where we live as well, which is fantastic. But we have Apple and we have major recycling centres up in Churchfield. And obviously it's the main access route from Mallow to the hospital. Um, so there's a lot of traffic and there's frontline workers who are getting to work. But um, I suppose because there's been a reduced amount of traffic with COVID, there has been an increase in the amount of free road, let's say, that people can speed on during at all at all stages during the yeah, day. Yeah, and, and it's almost evening. it's almost like people see nothing in front of me. Exactly. Foot down and yeah. off they go. And off they go. And I suppose we have to raise awareness as residents because um, you know, we've seen with COVID there's been a great sense of community and I have major concerns and the residents have major concerns for our loved ones and our families and our neighbours who've lived here for generations. And now their grandchildren may be calling, dropping off little gifts for them or dropping food. We have a fantastic Blarney Meals and Wheels service and our local shops who are dropping food. And even they're endangering their lives, getting out of their trucks and cars to deliver to our most vulnerable in the area. And this isn't a new thing either outside of COVID, Patricia. This has been going on for decades. The speed have, you on been on, have you been on to the council to see if they can put in? We have. So any traf- traffic calming measures could be put in? Yes, this is exactly what our appeal is for, is for traffic calming measures. Now, Colette Thomas and the Residents Association, I've been living in Calardicell for five years, but I've been living in Blarney all my life. And they have been doing tremendous work writing to the councillors writing to um, the relevant authorities for years, urging, asking them for help and support to get these traffic calming measures. And, you know, it's the same thing, budgets. Um, we've been fobbed off, told it'll happen at some point or, you know, it'll be next year's budget. And there was one VMS speed camera put in, but it was put in in the wrong area. It was put in at the top of Faggot Hill, which is kind of the next... Um, a section away from Collard itself and mm. it's having no impact absolutely no impact and we asked for it to be moved we've got great support from the guards the local guards have been fantastic they've been out doing patrols but you know yourself the minute the word gets out that the guards are doing 
speed check. Everyone everybody slows down. tells each other. Everyone flashes at each other and everybody slows down. Yeah, yeah. helpful to anybody. And so t- so you're deciding to go out and do a kind of a peaceful protest so that they protest. so that the drivers the regular drivers on the road hopefully will see you and it might just spur them to remember to slow down going through that area. Exactly. And you see look it, it is a residential area and because of the main road people don't see it as a residential area. Um one of our wonderful neighbors here Nellie Downey um his is like a local historian here and has informed me there's 67 houses here and she's watched generations of families and children grow up here and she's got wonderful friends here and she, you know she's nervous to cross the road and you know and we're encouraging people for their mental health to get out and about and to exactly. exercise and the cocooners and we, are told to get out and about and exercise exactly exactly and as you said you know we've got frontliners working on this road as well who need that uh, well-being they want to go out and push their little you know their children down the road with the in you know in a buggy or walk their hands and you know grandparents are looking forward to the day that they can actually I know my parents are looking forward to calling to see me and my children and and bringing them for a little walk and they're just afraid to do so and um, I suppose it's just raise awareness look we're conscious of the social distancing we're conscious that this might be low priority in the middle of COVID but all we're doing is we're standing in our gardens or at the front of our houses with placards just asking people to slow down and to be aware um, of young families, young and old, living in this area who just want to have the freedom to be able to walk out their gate or drive their car out the gate to the shop and they've just, we haven't been able to do so. It's frightening. Okay, so tomorrow morning you're there from what, 9 o'clock? Well, for, is from 8.30 eight eight, we're going eight, to start. Okay. Because Which is the time people are going to work. Okay. time and I suppose I'm conscious now that it's ramping up again in that the roads are getting People busier. Are, exactly, yeah, aren't everyone, they? You know, everyone's it, noticed things. Everyone, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. And also, just to highlight something, um, I was speaking to one of our neighbours, Noreen DC, and in 1995, she walked this road with the then um, councillor, Noel O'Flynn, in 1995 to highlight this plight. And I can't believe that it's 2020 and we're still in the exact same position with no movement from the from 20, the relevant 25 years later. Twenty, And she now has her own grandchildren of her own and it. she can't go down the road with okay. Bobby. Okay, it's, 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 okay. It's, uh, hopefully that someone will listen hopefully. to you this time. And, and you know, will, there, will it take a fatality? Please God not. For that's, something to that's happen. That's not what and you want. No, and there's been serious, there has been serious accidents um, and there has been cars overturned and the guards have, have told us it is due to the speed. Okay, good luck it with your protest to tomorrow. You we'll so keep in contact with you, Geraldine. Thanks Will for that. Will do. Thanks bye bye. Bye the opportunity. Bye-bye. Geraldine Hassett there in Blarney along with those other residents. If you travel that road, slow down, please, particularly tomorrow morning. Keep a lookout for those uh, protesters. And on the students, remember Tom joined us earlier from the College Road in the city and he says that the, he, he reckons the students are moving back in to the houses and they're having house parties and there was a massive party kept awake most of the night last night somebody says Patricia some students have to move back into their student accommodation uh, because they live in areas out in the countryside where there's no internet uh, connection and they've no choice they need to go back in because they've got good internet access at their student accommodation and they need to partake in uh, lectures that's why some have gone back to their student accommodation and then somebody else says Patricia they're not students they're young people who are using their Covid payments to rent from landlords for 75 euro per week until August. I know this as I know six 
different young people who have moved to different houses in the city and they're paying €75 a week until uh, August. So they're not students, but they are. And why have they chosen to move to the city? Uh, I wonder. Uh, Anyway, listener says that they're not all. And, you know, Tom was saying they were wearing sweatshirts but sure anyone can buy a sweatshirt or it could have been a sweatshirt for when they were student days but anyway uh, it's hard to know whether students are not but two people one saying it is and one saying it's not but for whatever's going on there's not a lot of social distancing listening uh, to Tom and they're the kind of the group of people who need to cop on slightly uh, when we hear we certainly have heard Simon Coveney and Simon Harris use that phrase people need to cop on we're doing well in containing this virus and suppressing it but if we have people not social distancing and breaching all of the guidelines, then we won't be in the same situation. We won't be saying that the virus is suppressed, particularly seeing it suppressed in the community, which is good news. Jill says, Patricia, this weekend should have been the Mallow Flower Show weekend. Is is it this weekend? Yeah, I will miss it, says Jill. I know I saw few weeks ago on they had a Facebook post up saying rather than cancelling it they'd pushed it forward to later in the summer into September I think in the hope that they could still have it I must check in and see what their plans are I don't think they've come out and actually cancelled it this year or not but yeah that would be a huge huge loss uh, to so many people uh, for sure also coming into us oh this is on the dentist somebody says Patricia the great coronavirus rip-off is in my opinion starting. We're hearing of dentists who are firing the first shot by charging €20 on top of their charges as a COVID-19 charge and they say that they're using it for PPE gear and then this morning I hear you talking about the Children's Hospital and how that's going up by 40% because of COVID-19 restrictions. Watch this space as this texter uh, who is calling it the great coronavirus rip-off. It is starting and actually just on the on the dentist uh, somebody was making their point if I have it was this it was Heidi uh, yesterday when I mentioned that a lot of the dentists are saying that the reason for the extra 20 euro that they have to charge is because of the PPE gear that they're going to have to wear now when they're dealing with a patient Heidi says morning to Patricia as to the dentist charging more as to the extra uh, PPE or personal protection equipment well I'm not sure when you were asked at the dentist would you believe Heidi only a few weeks ago uh, but my dentist is always wearing masks and gloves and even some wear visors. So why do we need to pay more? They can claim for it against their expenses. So because of COVID-19, is this going to go across the board for all items and uh, services? Are we going to see everything go uh, go up? Well, the dentist that I heard, it was it was on one of the news programmes was the Dublin dentist who was charging €30 Euro extra, not 20 And the, she was talking through the equipment, the PPE equipment, that it was. It seemed to have been a more expensive PPE equipment than the PPE equipment they normally use. I don't know why, but she felt that she needed to up her quality of personal protective equipment. And that was the reason that she was passing it on to her uh, clients. And it does, from what we can gather, it does seem to be across the board with all dentists charging extra. You get charged for whatever your procedure was, your filling, your extraction, cleaning, whatever it is. Even though I don't know if they're cleaning at the moment. I think, is it all really emergencies that they're doing? Whatever you're going to the dentist for. But there will be an additional charge and it's, 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 it's a COVID-19 uh, charge of, it seems to be here in this neck of the woods, 
20 euro on top of what you pay. 1850-333-103. Just on speed, John in Bantry says, Patricia, I go for a walk every day in Bantry. I've noticed that a lot of cars are exceeding the speed limit in the 50 kilometre zone, especially on the N71 entry and exit from the town of Bantry. Please, please, please ask drivers to slow down as walkers have to move off the footpath onto the road to observe social distancing. That's the big issue at the moment, isn't it? Wherever you when and so many people are out walking and jogging and it is terrific to see people getting active and we're encouraging people on, who are in lockdown to get active and to go out and get their exercise. But because of social distancing, you will see that. You will see people, even, even where there are footpaths, when they see somebody coming, there will always be, usually the gentleman, they'll get down onto the road and they'll walk onto the road so as to allow that two metre as you pass somebody out. And if you have people speeding, we all, everybody needs to just slow it, slow it down and just be aware. You never know what's going to be around the corner. You never know if suddenly somebody who's on a footpath suddenly will get onto the road. So everybody needs to be careful, both the walkers, the joggers and the people behind the wheel of the car. 1850 333 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. We're talking of mental health. A reminder to you that Grow, the mental health recovery group, have developed a six week course entitled Creating Hope and Staying Positive in COVID 19. The program contains tips and advice on how to deal with the pandemic over the next few weeks. And you can visit visit their website www.grow.ie or phone their information line on 1850-474-474 and the Mallow GAA are fundraising for three local charities this month 65 players from the Mallow hurling and football teams will run 19 kilometres within their 5k radius between 6am this Saturday morning and 6pm on Sunday evening and they're urging people in the Mallow area to support their nominated charities. Their nominated charities are Mallow Search and Rescue, St Vincent de Paul, who we only spoke with today and also the Autism Assistant Dogs. You can run, walk or cycle on those dates and donate to their GoFundMe uh, page, which is GoFundMe Mallow GAA 19 KMS in aid of COVID-19. Cork Today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. C103 brings you Farm Talk with John O'Connor. Saturdays at 10am and Wednesdays at 10pm. The agri-food sector and the food supply chain to the supermarket shelf are all open and fit for purpose within the context of taking the appropriate uh, measures where possible to prevent the spread of the virus. Turn on Farm Talk with Dairy Gold's Post Calver Gold, a trusted partner for your peace of mind across the breeding season. Only on C103. Fundraising particularly difficult during the COVID-19 pandemic. It was great to hear that our parent company, News Corp, had decided to donate money to worthwhile causes. All of us as staff members had an opportunity to vote and I'm delighted to say that alone, the national organisation that works with older people are to receive a grant of uh, 25,000. To chat about the work of alone, I'm joined by CEO uh, Sean uh, Moynihan. Good afternoon to you, Sean. Good afternoon. Uh, and you're, you're very welcome to the programme. Just on fundraising, have many of your fundraising events had to be cancelled? Well, look, like everybody else, is, is any, any events or community groups and things we've been doing have, have been, ca- been cancelled. At the same time that the demand for services are, are up 
700%. So this type of help from News Cup is so welcome. And also, as you say, it's really gratifying when anything comes to us where employees and, uh, and, and that have been involved in a vote or anything like that. Because really, I think for our staff and volunteers, it's a great boost to know that people appreciate what they're doing. Ah, well, I think I think all of us know the outstanding work that you've always been doing. I know from this program because we would have interviewed you over the years, but I think you've really, um, Sean, alone has really come into its own during uh, the COVID-19, particularly, I think, because of the numbers of older people that are cocooning. I mean, your support line, has it ever been as busy? No. You know, at the moment, since this started, we've taken around 20,000 calls. Probably made another 70,000 calls this month. And then a huge amount, I think it's 10 or 12,000 units of visiting people with practical supports, food, medication. And then at the moment, we're supporting around 11,000 people ongoing. So there's huge numbers. And because of fortune, there's huge needs. But those that were vulnerable when this started, it's just made all other issues they have more difficult. And for older people who have always been hugely independent, it sort of puts them in a very difficult position where now that in some cases they need help and that's not always been the case for that group. Yeah, it's the one thing that we certainly would have noticed here, Sean, people contacting the the programme. I mean, alone, you would have been set, set up initially to tackle loneliness and isolation. There are many older people who are facing these issues for the first time. They've never faced them before. And it's because of cocooning, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, so there's, there's people who, who would never have considered themselves, you know, you know, vulnerable is a very difficult word. You know, so there's people out there that be going, that's not me. You know what I mean? I've always, like, mind the grandkids, I'm still working on volunteering. But yes, because this uh, virus is aging, all of a sudden now, I, I have to I have to deal with things a different way. And there are times and places where those people need help, advice, and support. Never did. And for others who've entered this, maybe with poor health already, or, you know, and a huge amount of people ringing us, most people, are, you know, around 75% live on their own. And are over something. You know, their physical health conditions and at the moment a huge amount of work around falls, rapidly mental health concerns and where people are really struggling, you know, with very low mood and issues. Yeah. And and your message today uh, to them is reach out because help and support is available. That that's really that's the thing we want to get across the positive is families, friends and communities have been brilliant. But if people need our help, please reach out. We have the ability to work with people, to ring them back every day. And whether it's issues around housing, whether it's issues around financing, their COPD, their diabetes, chronic healthcare, we have the relationships and the abilities to work those through with them. And if we don't do the service, we will connect them to somebody and we will work with them until an issue is resolved. And at the same time, we can also we, we can also clarify public health information, COVID-19. So we're trying to look at this not only as COVID-19 but also at the other issues that people need to address that would make all of this bearable and we can all work as a year. Okay, listen uh, and your number is 0818 and it's 8am to 8pm and that's seven uh, days uh, a week. I'll let you go, uh, Sean, your phone line's fading on us slightly but listen, always a pleasure to speak uh, with you and continue good, good luck to you and, and indeed all of the volunteers. I know you rely very heavily on volunteers. You're, you're a fantastic organisation so continue good luck to, to the great work at alone. 
Thank you very much and appreciate the opportunity today. Okay. okay. Yeah, bye-bye. bye-bye, bye-bye. That is uh, Sean Moynihan, CEO of uh, Alone. Uh, and while Alone, you know, work very much with older people, um, uh, please reach out to them if you think that they can be of any help to you, if you're feeling isolated, if you're feeling lonely. But then on the other side, uh, we got a call in from uh, Noreen who is a widow in her 60s. So I'm assuming she, I mean, maybe maybe you, you could reach out to alone I'm, I'm, I, because her story is very much about being alone. Uh, she said there's lots of talk uh, when she's listening to the radio and reading the papers and listening on uh, TV. There's lots of talk about how people are being affected by COVID-19 and there's great emphasis being put on older people and there's great emphasis being put on uh, children. But Noreen finds herself somewhere stuck in uh, the middle in a group in society the chief is that are, are also affected but they're not being spoken about and she says she says she's a widow in her 60s her children are all living abroad so she's got none of them living close by or even here in, in the country and she said it's not just widowed people you would have divorcees you'd have single people lots of people who are living on their own and she said before COVID-19 we were all very independent uh, people we weren't out there looking for partnership we weren't looking for companionship but we had our own social life but she said a lot of the outlets where she and others would have socialised are completely gone. She said, for example, she loved to go social uh, dancing. She loved to go to the bridge club. All gone now. And she said when the bars, if and when the bars do reopen, she said that's not going to be a place where you can go and have a chat with anyone, particularly if it's social distancing. If you saw Claire Byrne and what they did on the TV the other night, that's going to be nowhere to go to have a bit of a social chat with anyone because you'll be sitting two metres apart from uh, someone. She said, I feel everything I used to do is gone due to COVID-19. And at this stage, and this is what worries me about Noreen's call, she said, if I got the COVID-19, I feel I wouldn't be worried as I feel at times I would be better off if I died from it, as I've nothing to look forward to now. And she said, I'm not alone. I chat to others on the phone, but our conversations are running out as there is nothing to chat about. Oh, goodness me. Uh, okay, so we're, can anybody offer advice to Noreen? I would straight away say, Noreen, keep, keep those chats going on the phone talk about anything talk about the most mundane of things but don't give up reaching out and talking to people and I'd go so far as to some of your contacts you have been talking to reach out and tell them about how low you are feeling at the moment and we're now at the stage because we're into phase one you're allowed to meet up. Could you go out for a walk? Could you meet with any of the people who you would have met with before, who you perhaps would have gone social dancing with or you would have gone to the bridge club? Could you meet them and go out for a walk? You're allowed to do that now. And remember by on the 8th of June, we, people will be allowed into each other's houses. But I've heard of lots of people even since Monday of this week who are meeting up and they're sitting in gardens in, in you know, having a cup of coffee, having a cup of tea in somebody's back garden or front garden. You know, all social distancing, it's all... You're, you're still quite within the rules and the regulations once you're staying within five kilometres of your house so please uh, reach out you do sound very very down uh, on your call but reach out reach out to your own connections that you have um, and we'll give it out to see I, I do think you're right though I do think you're not on your own I think you I think your call will 
I think strike a chord with a number of people listening to us. There are many people in that group who are living alone and who are feeling very isolated. And you're right, a lot of the focus has a tendency to be on the cocooners and has a tendency to be on the, you know, what's happening with children and how difficult it is for children. And then we have the big focus on the leaving search students and that they won't be able to do their leaving search. But there are adults who are living alone and who are finding it difficult and who are finding it hard but please reach out and speak to people keep those lines of communication going and thank you for contacting us uh, today on 1850 at 3331033 and we were talking about dentists and dentists charging extra COVID-19 payments Jill has been on says if people think it's mad about dentists putting up their prices just wait until the hairdressers start and there's nothing we will be able to do about us. There will be additional charges on everything. We will be paying for COVID-19 for a long, long time to come. And John in Bantry says, Patricia, the, when you talk about a coronavirus rip-off, pharmacies are still only allowing one month prescriptions at a time. I could save €50 Euro every six months by getting all my meds together. When can I start saving money again? And that is from John in Bantry. And I have no understanding of what that's uh, about. I've no understanding of what that's about. Is that a change to the way prescriptions are given out that you're only allowed to get one month instead of uh, six? According to John, it is uh, costing him money. 1850-333-103. Court today on C103. With Mallow College, now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. Nick Richards plays Cork's greatest hits for your workday on C103. Greatest hits from George Ezra, who loves a bit of tripe and drasheen, don't you? I don't, like, I don't think too much about it, I just love doing it. Suggs from Madness. Good afternoon. How are you? Very well indeed, mate. And the legends that are ABBA. Every corner of the world, they probably know one of our songs. Playing Cork's greatest hits while you work. Nick Richards. Weekdays from 1. C103. And in the middle of this pandemic we always like to try and dig out and find as many good news stories as we can so I was thrilled to hear that Cape Clear Distillery has just won a prestigious silver award in the 2020 San Francisco World Spirits Competition and uh, we can't at the moment pass without speaking with the manager of the Cape Clear Distillery and that is uh, Seamus O'Drishkoil who's gone he was there a second ago let's get Seamus back on the line because this is uh, I'm told a press prestigious silver award so we want to find out a little bit more about it Anne in Bantry says the price of diesel has gone down in Cork City but in West Cork it is still hasn't dropped why is that why are we paying more now I'm told Seamus O'Driscoll is here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Back with me. Good afternoon, Seamus. How are you? He's there. Hi. Congratulations to you on this prestigious silver award. What is, tell me about the award first and how it came about. Well, um, the... Internet, the San Francisco International Spirits Awards are one of the world's premier uh, competitions for spirits and beverages. And uh, we have some contacts in that general area in San Francisco and California, and they strongly urged us to go to this particular one. So we did, and uh, we're extremely delighted with the results. Now, you obviously are not in San Francisco or weren't in San Francisco for the actual awards. No, we're not, but we do have some um, contacts in the area. In fact, um, not so long ago, we had some of our bottles were auctioned uh, at a charity auction in San Francisco, California, and uh, they raised 15000 for a uh, dollar, that is, for a, for a local charity there. So um, we've been kind of in and out of that area um, quite recently. Okay, tell me about your gin and what makes it so special. Well, the reason our gin is special is, apart from the fact that it's the only island gin, is that we really took such a long, long time and put such a huge effort into making a distinctive and a special gin. Um, It normally takes maybe six weeks or two months for people to come up with a new recipe. Um, You know, people are doing it all the time. But we just kept at it. I mean, month after month after month, we tried everything. And... um, we were not coming up with um, with something that we were happy with. Um, and then after about six months, um, we finally tried uh, Laminaria digitata, which is a kind of a seaweed that grows here. Okay. And um, that was the magic ingredient. I mean, it, it changed our gin from being just what we'd consider a normal gin, and it kind of brought it something special. And it's, I'm really happy about that because, you know, it's really something that's, uh, it's a it's a botanical. It's it's um, all our all our botanicals are, are hand foraged on the island. But this is you know this is really bringing it back to to where we are. And did you, and did you realise when you did that taste test? Was there a moment where you went, "By Jove, we've done it this time"? Like, that's exactly what it was. Uh, you know, we had a group of four or five people who were very dedicated, and you know they were trying recipe after recipe after recipe and sometimes one some, one person would say well this isn't too bad and the other would say no no it's not that good either but but when when they got this one you know they all just said this, this is, is it. it and then they were so excited they went around and they grabbed another 20 people and they got them to try it and they said the same and you know they, they everyone got really excited about it at that at that point in time and it's called Three Square Miles Irish Coastal Gin. It is because... Um, <laughs> That's Cape, a great name. <laughs> it's, well, Cape Clear Island is three, three Square Miles. Square miles yeah. <laughs> and um, 
it's we wanted a name. Some people asked us why why don't you call it Cape Clear Jane or, or something like that. But you know, we wanted a name that would have international resonance, and you know, uh, lots of people in in County Cork and in Ireland um, know where Cape Clear Island is. But we want you know we wanted to be an international brand, and we were advised you know to, to have a more generic name. And where do you sell? Well, at the moment, we were our plan was uh, always to start local and to work out from there. So it's very important to have a local market for your gin or whatever product it is if you're interested in going further afield. Because if somebody comes to taste it or to find out about it and they're coming over from South Africa or Germany or someplace, they want to see it. So our first thing was to get it established locally and we were extremely happy with the um, response we got because this was last November, December and we had a fabulous response. And then from there, we're working out from there. Obviously, we've been um, very badly affected by the coronavirus and there's not a lot happening. But the people that we're dealing with who are kind of small distributors um, in different countries, they're all kind of working at um, fine-tuning their products and uh, we're still talking to quite a lot of people uh, who are kind of saying, well, we're going to do something special when uh, the world economy starts to kind of come uh, back again. again. And it will, and it will. This, this, this time will pass. And you also, um, I think it's, it's a, a, a fantastic idea. You're coming up with the idea of bespoke engraved bottles. Well, yes, because we're a small distillery and we can do special things that maybe larger distilleries can't do. And uh, so we can go after these small little niches and things that people find very, very special. And so what we're doing is we can make an engraved bottle. Now, and it's not just engraved. Other people can do that. And, you know, so we we could have a standard, but we can put um, a person's name on it or a message, or whatever. So if you're looking for a bottle, say, for a, a special event, a special anniversary... A special birthday, or a retirement, a, a wedding. I mean, it's endless anything. the amount of different events you could have it. Well, I wouldn't say wedding just now. No, that's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but in times to come, yeah. hopefully uh, weddings, yes, they'd be very, very special. And some people are saying, you know, it might even be something for a newborn that you put their, um, their 21st on it. Yeah. And they have to wait. What a lovely idea. What a lovely, lovely idea. So we're we're starting that right now and... um uh, you know, we're very excited about that. OK, listen, congratulations uh, once again. It's it's fantastic. As I say, it's great to find any kind of a good news story in the it middle is. of the pandemic. So everyone's in, everyone very proud of uh, you in uh, Cape Clear. Of course, of course, you know, West Cork is the culinary Absolutely. capital of Ireland. So Absolutely. we're very glad to, to do our best. And wash it down with a nice glass of Irish coastal gin. It listen, is. thanks a million for that and uh, okay. thanks for joining us, Seamus. Uh, okay. Bye-bye. That is uh, Seamus O'Driscoil, who is the manager of Cape Clear Distillery on their silver award in the 2020 San Francisco World Spirits Competition for its three square miles Irish coastal gin. Anna's been on to say her daughter has gone into the optician to have her eyes tested just 
to let people know that the eyesight test has also gone up by 20 euro and obviously that's another uh, COVID-19 uh, charge because all of these uh, businesses that are opening up have to buy and buy additional PPE gear and they're passing it on to the consumer. We're all certainly going to be paying more uh, for sure for the foreseeable future. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. Somebody's asked about bingo. Is there any sign of bingo coming back up? Not at the moment. Uh, we'll see if we can find out when we expect bingo to reopen. A lot of people missing that. That's where I leave you for today. Thanks to Sadie and to John Paul for taking your calls. We're back with you tomorrow at uh, 10 o'clock until the night. Patricia Messenger, stay safe. Court today on C103. With Mallow College. Now enrolling for courses in September. Plan your future education. See the full range of courses at mallowcollege.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.